Hey guys, thank you for joining me for another video. Today we're talking about Enneagram 6 and I want to offer some help and uh, some encouragement for those of you who are uh, identifying yourself as a 6 or you live with those in your family or friends that, that are 6. Help you understand a little bit better about what's going on in the mind and heart of a, of a, uh, a loyal skeptic, as you were called, um, and uh, how you can better relate to uh, those in your life or how you as a 6 can better relate and understand what's going on um, within your mind and uh, with your with your so you can better relate to yourself and to others so the six you know is called the loyal skeptic and um, I think that's a fairly good term because there's there's kind of a dichotomy that seems to be going on within the six is on the one hand they uh, you want to be loyal uh, more than anything you want to be loyal uh, but you're very skeptical of those that you're loyal to whether or not they're going to reciprocate that loyal devotion back to you. I think one of the ways to simply understand the six from the beginning is sixes are loyal because that's what they need from you. They want you to be loyal to them. They want to know that you're dependable, you're going to be reliable, that you're going to be there to help them, to, to, to give them uh, assistance as they're working through their problems, solutions. Not that you're giving them solutions, but that you're there to help them process uh, problems to get to a solution they want and need you to be loyal to them and so that's what they are to you and to the institutions they work with but there's always this kind of level of suspicion that maybe you're not going to be there for them maybe you're not really as reliable and trustworthy as I hope you are and so they they tend to have sort of a suspicious nature to them as well and essentially what's going on I believe in the in the six, the 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 jam up, you know, because all of us on the Enneagram, we have sort of a jam up uh, where there's a monkey wrench, you know, thrown into our system. And I think the jam up, uh, the monkey wrench for the six is they have a hard time um, coming to, they have a hard, it's as if their guidance system, their ability to uh, trust themselves and, and knowing whether or not the risk is acceptable uh, for whatever decision they're making, it's as if their guidance system to them is not trustworthy, which is ironic because they probably have the best guidance system of all of us. I mean, they have disciplined themselves, worked this muscle of resolving and solving problems. Um, that's what they do constantly, is they're constantly evaluating threats, foreseeing problems, resolving problems, um, and the rest of us would lean on them to help us solve our problems. Um, but they themselves don't necessarily trust their ability to, to reason things out and come to um, a conclusion. Um, in fact, they may go seek an expert's advice uh, for a problem that they're, they're, uh, they're worried about. Um, and then, you know, seek out three or four experts, read books, read articles. And then by the time they get to the end of all of that thought and research and problem solving, they may be just as confused as when they started. Now they've got more information, more information than anybody could deal with. And, and at the end of all of that seeking out of information, they may be just as frustrated and just as uh, um, overwhelmed with what to do now. Now that they know so much about this, um, now what do I do? And so the six, it's like their thinking center, and they are right in the middle of that thinking center on the Enneagram, 
is separated from their feeling and actions. So they're feeling fear, which is the, uh, the, the passion of the six or the sin, you might say, of the six, is fear. <clears throat> they're feeling the fear and they know they need to act. Okay, so that's what's going on. There's fear and there's action. There's the feeling of fear. There's that sense of, what do I do? You know, this, this could go wrong. This could go bad. We could lose everything. They might come in and, uh, you know, you, maybe the boss said that they're going to do some reevaluating at work. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? What, what could happen? And the worst case scenario starts to play in their mind. So they're feeling the fear or the anxiety and they want to take action. But the thinking center has been separated from that and from that process and so they're not necessarily sure they can evaluate the situation um, without assistance and help from others and so they're looking for people that will be loyal to them who will walk with them on this journey and help them process the information they can talk it out and think it through and they need that support or they feel like they need that support so that's what they value so that's what they demonstrate as being a good friend they're going to be supportive and they're going to be loyal to you. Meanwhile, they're always kind of looking over their shoulders, wondering if you're really going to come through for them, wondering if you really are going to have their best interests in mind. They're looking for authority figures that they can trust. Uh, they're looking for the right person in office so that that person will keep us safe. The right manager will keep us safe and um, keep us secure. And so they're very driven, very focused, and very intentional towards those things that they think will make them safe and secure because they're lacking that. You know, most of us on the Enneagram, the rest of us, uh, we know that, you know, there's a risk. Well, we just kind of weigh it out in our head and we'll say, it's probably going to be all right. It's no big deals. You know, and really the reality is, is most of the things we worry about in life are not game enders for us. In fact, the things that are game enders, we don't pay attention to, like the way we eat, you know, and the kind of foods we eat and uh, how we're driving and that kind of stuff. We often don't pay attention to that. We get worried about things that often we can't do anything about. Um, and uh, most of us, I think, we just kind of go, eh, it's probably going to work out. Eh, it's not a big deal. Eh, it's not a game ender. Um, you know, at worst, I might embarrass myself a little bit if I do the wrong thing. Or at worst, I might have to apologize to somebody. It's not the end of the world. Well, six is... You know, they kind of think like it could be the end of the world. It really could be the end. Of the world. We could lose our house. We could lose our jobs. We could end up homeless. We could end up on the street. We could end up destitute. We could end up, you know, trafficked. And it goes worst case scenario. I feel like I've got some good experience with sixes. Not only do I interact with a lot of them, but uh, one of my daughters of our five kids, one of our daughters is a six. My mom is a six, six wing five. My daughter's a six wing seven. And uh, so I have a lot of interaction with the worst case scenario what might happen and stop and think now uh, you know um, there's always that sort of like stop and think and stop and what can we worry about today you know what can we be upset about today what can what could go wrong today and um, there's, there's always that sense of dread you know that if I do the wrong thing here and if I mess up then I might just lose it all um, sixes you know again we don't know why people end up the numbers they end up but there's, we can always kind of go back and think about it, you know, and kind of speculate. And one of the speculations of sixes and the way they relate to their parents is the six, uh, something's going on with the dad, you know, in the life of the six that maybe moves them toward that sixness. Again, I don't know. I mean, maybe we're born this way or, or maybe it's just what, it may not be that our parents make us this way. It may just be the message that we heard growing up because we're, we tend to be wired toward a certain 
you know, toward a certain Enneagram number from the beginning. I don't, I don't know. I don't claim to know. I don't know if anybody knows. But with sixes, they'll say that the research says that, you know, there's something going on with the dad, the protective figure in their life. You know, like maybe their dad wasn't there for them or wasn't, wasn't supportive of them or wasn't, didn't give them the sense that they were safe. Or maybe their dad was one of those kind of dads that, that came home and one night he's happy and, and the other night he's angry. He's drunk. He's grumpy, you know. And the next night he comes home, he's dancing around on the floor and everybody's happy. And, and so the six, the radar goes up, you know, with dad. Am I gonna, is dad going to be happy dad today or is dad going to be upset dad today? I don't know. So I got to have my radar up and every little clue that I see, you know, the, 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 the car door slam when he pulled up in the drive, is he stomping up to the steps or is he whistling when he comes up the steps? So the radar of the six is always up listening. Is there, is it, what kind of dad we got today? Is this happy dad? Is this angry dad? Is this a threatening situation or is this a comforting situation? I think it could work the other way too. Maybe you had a great dad. Maybe you as a six had a wonderful dad. But there's that fear that, well, what, what happens when I grow up and I leave home and dad's not there anymore to protect me? Or what happens if, you know, I don't find a guy like dad who kept me safe, who made sure I was always safe and protected and guarded? Um, so what will happen if I lose that in my life? And the, and the, that same kind of fear starts to, you know, and so I don't know that you can say that, well, you, you had a bad dad. That's why you're a six. No, uh, I think you could have had a very good dad uh, that provided that. And maybe you didn't have any dad. I don't know. But that, that's kind of the, what you're going to read if you do a little research on, you know, the, the childhood message of the six was you're not going to be protected. So you better protect yourself. And uh, that's kind of the childhood message that the six, the six got. So the fear of the six is I'm in a world without support. And why do you need support? Because you don't trust your own guidance system. You don't, you're afraid that you're not going to be able to figure it out, which is, again, ironic because they're the ones always figuring. They're the problem solvers. I mean, they are the problem solvers. Um, but they don't, at the end of the day, feel like that they can make a decision sometimes. Not always, but I'm, this is their struggle. Is And I'm, I'm sure the healthier they are, the more they just realize that there's always going to be a risk and they make decisions. But that's the shenanigan going on in the six is they, they're not sure that they can trust themselves when making a decision. So they want to reach out to you and say, what do you think? What do you... Um, and they want you to be a reliable source for them that they can depend on. And if they get the sense that you're not dependable, like if, for example, if you lie to them and they catch you in that lie, it might be over. And they may never forget that because what happened is the alarm went off and they now can identify you. You're not a reliable source. So I need to move on and find somebody else that is a reliable source. Or if you don't seem to appreciate the significance of the potential problem that they're facing, if you just kind of blow it off and say, you know, they bring to you a problem, for example, and they say, you know, um, uh, we're not getting paid um, this weekend. We're, you know, whatever. And uh, this could be a real problem. And you go, eh, it's probably going to work out. You blow it off. You say, eh, it's no big deal. Eh, it's probably okay. Uh, my kid didn't make the soccer team. And I hope that they're not upset. Eh, it's okay. You know, then another chance will come up. And you blow that off. You blow off their problem. They might get the sense that you can't evaluate this problem as significant or not. So how can I depend on you when I really do face a problem? So you're not a very good, dependable, very reliable source for me to trust in. So I better not trust in you. So there's where that skeptic comes in. See, loyal but skeptical. 
And so they want authority figures in their life and companions in their life that they can trust and depend on, but they're suspicious as to whether or not they're really going to find those people. Uh, and the reality is, is you can trust yourself, but that's, that's what they have a hard time believing is you can trust your own inner guidance system. Um, you don't necessarily need all of these people in your life that will support you. You feel like you do, and we get that. That's your impulse. Your impulse that your personality creates is that you feel like you need all these reliable sources in your life that you can depend on. But the reality is, is you don't any more than any of the rest of us do. Um, we all need companions in life, and we all want to talk through our problems with people, but you're not in any different situation than the rest of us are. You just, you just impulse toward that. You feel like, like that's true. The belief is, if for a six, is if I had sufficient support and backup in my life, then I would could have some degree of confidence. Then I'd be okay. So there's where that skeptic comes in, is you're going to kind of tend to relate to people like, why weren't you there for me? Why weren't you supportive of me? And they may feel like they really were. I was there for you. I was supportive of you. I, but, but not to the degree in which you felt like you needed them to be. The six, think about it like this. If the one has an inner critic in their life, where it's always they just always feel condemned, okay? The seven, me, I always have that sense I'm fear of missing out on something. Uh, the six, what's your thing? This illustration came from one of the books that I read, so it's not original with me, but it's very helpful. And if you're a six, this is gonna this is gonna immediately make sense to you. And if you live with a six, this is going to help you really understand what's going on in them. Okay, the one has the inner critic. What does the six have? The six has an inner pack of wolves. Wolves, yeah. Arr, bark at the moon. Wolves. A six, it's like living, as a six, is like living with an inner pack of wolves that are always chasing you through the woods. And you think you're getting away from them, but then you hear them howl again. And you turn back and you look, and there they are chasing you and sometimes you can even feel their hot breath on your on the back of your neck as you're trying to get away from them so that fear those wolves are fear anxiety worry worst case scenarios all the things that could go wrong it just seems like the, there's always something pursuing you and i imagine that sixes have probably some problems with nightmares or night terrors because there's that sense in which something bad is coming and let's face it, guys, I mean, there's some truth to that. In the world we live in, there's a lot of things that we could be afraid of. I mean, the additives to foods, who knows what those things are doing to us. Uh, accidents that could happen to us, terror plots that could happen, shootings that can happen. I mean, there's a lot of things that could go gang violence. There's a lot of things that could go wrong in society, and it makes sense to be concerned about that stuff. But sixes take that to a whole new level of, you know, this is probably going to happen. This is a good chance that this is going to happen. And, you know, sort of if they're not careful, they can end up kind of like in that bunker mentality that we need to build a bunker, you know, to a safeguard. So they can be very passionate toward groups that they think are going to keep them safe. The six five, for example, is called the defender. Their personality type is called the defender. And what that is, is it's like those groups out there in society, they're trying to destroy us. They're like wolf packs that are coming after us. And we need to align ourselves with other groups and institutions that will defend us against those groups that want to destroy us. And you can see how, you know, Republicans versus Democrats versus independents, uh, denominations of churches, 
You know, I mean, you can say like our group and the one I align with, that's the safe bet. All those others out there, they're trying to ruin our lives and destroy our homes and they're coming for your, you know, to, to and it's always like the axe man is coming. The wolf pack, the axe man is coming and they're going to get you. And you, and, you, and you better be ready and you better hunker down and get in your bunker and protect yourself. And so it can, it can, sixes can be like, you know, come across as though they're great planners and organizers and they are. And so they want to have a contingency plan and they want to have their first aid kits and they want to have their backup plans and they want to ha- and they're really good at all that logistics and all that stuff. But realize the motivation for all of that is fear. Fear is what motivates it all. Okay? So fear is what's driving it. Fear is that that wolf pack is chasing you down. Now the 67 is called the buddy. Okay? Uh the good friend, the buddy, the loyal friend. And uh the 67, you know, has that sense in which if I align myself with the right people and I'm a good friend, then I'll be safe because I'm in the herd. I'm in the herd and I'm safe in the herd. And so I'm going to be careful how I relate to people so that I'll be protected by the herd. So they come across as the buddy, as the good friend, right? You know, where threes, for example, the achievers want to stand out and they want to make a name for themselves and they want to rise above because their worth comes from their ability to perform. The six does not want to stand out. They don't want to lag behind the herd and they don't want to stand out above the herd either. They want to, what is that old saying? Like, you know, a nail that sticks up, it gets hammered down, right? So they, they want to blend in, in a sense. They, they may not want the leadership position where you become, you know, a source of uh, attack, uh, but they don't want to fall behind either. They want to blend in and just be a part of the group. They want to collaborate. They want to be a part of the team. Teamwork is very important to sixes. Uh, being a, associated with the group is very important to sixes. Think of them as the peer group or the herd. There's safety there in in being a part of of a group like that. Um, you know, I think sixes. It. I want to do some videos on every type and and talk about the three different types subtypes of every type. So that's probably coming whenever whenever we get through all this information. But I think it's important at least to kind of mention those subtypes. Uh, when it comes to the six, because that really helps distinguish the three different types of sixes. It helps you understand more about what six is like. The counterphobic six, and I forget whether this, it's self-preservation, social, and sexual types, and I don't remember which one's assigned to which. I just kind of remember them like this. There is a six that looks like an eight, and that is the counterphobic six. That's the six that says, they're out to get me, the wolf pack is coming. The axe man is coming into the office. And he's going to chop jobs and he's going to, you know, re-downsize our corporation. The 6-8 deals with this fear by puffing themselves up and pushing the fear back. They suppress it down and they put... Now, they're terrified, but they're not going to show you they're terrified. It's like the best way to deal with this fear is to go on the offensive against those that are instilling the fear. And so they can look like an 8. But an eight, it's driven by anger, right? An eight, it's intuitive, it's a gut type. So the eight just isn't doing eight stuff because they're afraid, they're doing it because it just comes natural to them. All right, people are stupid, they need to be dealt with. That's kind of the way the eights 
feel like justice needs to be served. The six could the the counterphobic six could look like an eight, but they're not doing it for the same reasons. It's it's fear that's driving it, and so they're not going to be afraid. I'm not going to feel this fear, and so I'm going to deal with what I think is the problem uh, because I don't want to feel this fear anymore. The six that looks like the one. Um, is the, or the rule following six is another one of those three types. The rule following six says, if I follow all the rules and I do everything the way it's supposed to be done, then I don't have anything to worry about when the ax man comes. When the, when the leadership comes in and they downsize this corporation, I'm gonna be fine because I followed all the rules. I filled out all the paperwork correctly. So they can look like a one because they wanna do everything the right way. But a one does it that way because intuitively they know what's right. Intuitively they can't do it any other way. The six goes to look at the manual to see how the manual says to do it, does it according to the manual, and then says, I don't have anything to be afraid of because I did it the right way. The one may look at the manual and say, this manual needs to be updated. This manual isn't right. Let's change the manual. And they may know in their gut the right way to do it. And I don't care what the manual says. The manual is wrong. I'm going to do it the right way, regardless of how, how the manual says to do it. That's kind of a one way of thinking. The six, what does the manual say? Let's do it that way. Because when the ax man comes, I will have done it the right way and I won't be in trouble. So there's a six that looks like a one, but again, it's motivated by fear. It's not intuitive. Uh, it's external, okay? So then the six that, uh, well, the third type six, the probably the buddy most of the time, the six, seven, is the six that looks like a two. The six that looks like a two, you know, the giver, the helper, is the one that says, I'm your friend. I'm friendly and I'm outgoing and I'm fun loving and I, I'm not a threat, so you don't have to worry about me because I'm one of you guys, I'm friendly. So that friendly six, that buddy six, usually probably the six, seven is the one that says, you know, I'll be okay and I'll be safe because I have all the right relationships. I'm connected. I'm connected with the right people and I'm connected in the right way so that when something bad happens, I'll be protected because surely they'll take me. Surely they'll protect me. Surely all my friends will come in and they'll stand by me because I've stand, I've stood by them. And so that, that, um, friendly six, you know, uh, so easy to like because that's their whole their whole personality is built on that is they want to be likable so that you'll be there for them so that you'll be a reliable help and support to them when they need you so the six it looks like a two they're not a two their worth and value like a two a worth their worth and value comes from being loved and being needed by you not the six the six is it's terrifying out there so I need to be careful who I'm connected to and connected with so that I can be protected. Okay, so that's what's going on with the six, the friendly six, the six that looks like a two. Because really at the end of the day for all sixes, you know, I feel safe when I feel connected. And I'm connected because I follow the rules. Or I'm connected because I'm in the right relationships. Or I'm connected because I'm not afraid. I'll push back on those that are making me feel disconnected. Now you can probably see there's some inherent problems here and dangers here that the six can get themselves into without even trying. And that is sometimes the six, when they become suspicious of other people, they can actually provoke other people to turn against them, which is the very thing they don't want. But because of their suspicious nature, 
they could actually initiate the very things that they're afraid of. In other words, let me give you an example. There's no problems in the office. Everybody's getting along. Everybody's doing their work. Everything's fine. So let's just say uh, Nancy is a six. Okay, let's just make up some name, Nancy. Nancy's a six, and she's a rule-following six. Okay, six looks like a one. So she's in her office, you know, typing away, doing her work. And three ladies that she works with, or two ladies and a guy, whatever, they come in the office after lunch break. Nancy ate her lunch at, at her desk. Okay, because she's a rule follower and she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to miss out. She doesn't want to misuse her time in any way. So she eats at her desk today, and she's working on her stuff. And she overhears three of her coworkers that she likes, that she gets along with. They have a great relationship. Okay, they come in. They all had lunch together. And they come in laughing and talking, whispering, snickering, whatever. Normal stuff, right? They come in uh, and walk past her desk as they come in and go back to work. And the thought impulses across Nancy's mind. Well, that's interesting. The three of them went out to lunch together. Huh. I didn't realize that they were all that close of friends. Huh. I wonder why they went out to lunch together today when we've got that big report coming up on Friday. I wonder if uh, they're working together to protect one another uh, for that report that's coming and they've got each other's back on that report on Friday and I wonder why they didn't ask me to go. I wonder why they didn't invite me to go. That seems a little odd. Now, these thoughts, see, they start to spin around in Nancy's head, and she starts to become suspicious. I wonder if they're trying to leave me out. Now, we got this big project report thing due on Friday. They all are on the same page, and they didn't invite me to go. And I'm sitting here, and I'm going to have to... I wonder if, I wonder if they're working together, and they're leaving me out. See, this is the kind of suspicion that happens... I think in the mind of the six is what's going on over there. What are they up to over there? And I think what happened. And then now, if if Nancy allows herself to act on those impulses, she might start to become a acting a little suspicious toward them. Like, what are you guys up to? She starts prodding them, asking questions, and and they don't know where this is coming from. Let's say they're completely innocent. There's nothing going on. They just went out to lunch together. They were telling funny stories and they're laughing. They come in. There's nothing going on that's in any way threatening to Nancy. But in her mind, you see, she feels like there might be. So she starts investigating. She starts asking questions. She starts, see, now they, how are they going to react to that? They're going to start pushing back away from her. Like, what's gotten into you, Nancy? What's going on? What's the problem? What are you upset about? Why is it a problem that I had lunch with the other two? What? And then maybe those three start talking after work. Like, did Nancy come in your office today? Did She was asking me about why we went out to lunch together. What's gotten into her? What's her problem? What's she upset about? And the three of them maybe make a decision that Nancy's kind of a problem. Nancy's, you know, starting something. She's... She's starting a mutiny and she doesn't want to play with the rest of us. And she's got, you know, she's all this anxiety and all this. And so the three of them maybe then do start uh, actually plotting against Nancy. 
Um, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, you see? Um, so I think that's one of the things that can happen, you know, that, that impulse to like guard yourself and be suspicious of others may actually provoke un, um, not, I know it's not what you want, but it may actually provoke reasons to be suspicious later. Um, what else do I want to say about sixes? Oh, another thing I think that's true about sixes is the anxiety starts within them. Okay. In other words, it's just part of being a six. You don't trust your ability to your guidance system to be able to sort out what are real threats and what are potential threats and what are not threats. And you're not always able to feel like you can trust that. They start feeling the wolf pack. They start feeling the nervousness. They start feeling the anxiety. And then, and then they go looking for the reason or the cause of it or the person that's causing it. But it's not necessarily a person causing it or something out there external causing it. It's something that's internal. So what I mean is the six might start to feel a threat or start to feel the heat of the wolf breathing on their neck. And then they go looking for who's making me feel this way. And guess what? They might find a person that they pin that or they project that anxiety on and say, I know what it is. It's uh ever since marty got here and you know the the goofy clothes that he wears and the way he interrupts in meetings he's the reason i'm feeling this way ah, i got it figured out he's the reason i feel and so then they make enemies or make threats out of people who aren't threats or project you know their fears outward on people that that really aren't the cause of those fears because of those, those fears are you're broken just like every other person on the enneagram the six is broken in their own way. And the brokenness of the six is you're going to feel fear. You're going to feel anxiety. Uh, and you don't need to impulse every time you feel that. See, you don't need to act on it. You can say, wait a minute, this is just six stuff. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling fearful. I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling like, you know, and your brain just wants to go with, and this could happen, and then this could happen, and then this could happen. And you want to just kind of like worry, worry, worry. But if you can recognize, oh, this is just six stuff. The rest of the people on the Enneagram aren't doing this. I'm doing this because I'm a six. I don't need to um, act on every fear that I have. Maybe, and watch this, when the six is healthy, what do they go to? A nine. The nine is the peacemaker. The nine is the person that might need to wake up a little bit. The six, when they're healthy, they start to say, you know, maybe everything's going to be okay. Maybe I don't need to worry about all this. Maybe maybe it's not going to be the end of the world. Maybe this isn't the worst case scenario. Maybe I'm going to be all right. Maybe nobody's out to get me. Maybe I'm going to make it through this. Maybe I'm, I, could, I can relax a little bit. That's when sixes are healthy, okay? When sixes are unhealthy, what do they go to? They go to a three, right? What is the three all about? I've got to set myself apart from the rest of these people. I have to excel. I have to accomplish. I have to make a name for myself. And again, threes do that because their worth, their sense of worth is attached to that. But what it looks like for a six is they start to feel like, look, the job, the ax man's coming in the office and he's going to start cutting, taking names. He's going to start cutting down jobs 
and he's not going to get me. So I've got to make sure that I stay late and I do the best work and that I am the most pleasing employee and I'm the friendliest. And so I've got to set myself apart from all of the rest as the performer in this office so that when the job cuts come, they're not going to get me. And so instead of working for the group like sixes normally do, making you know the team goals, in fear and in stress and in disintegration, sixes who are a compliant type move to an assertive type, three, and they start making a name for themselves. They start distinguishing themselves away from the herd in a, in a bid that, that uh, they'll be safe and protected because look at all the great work I did. Look at all, and they start, you know, making all the network connections that really becomes important to them. Like a three is out there, a politician, you know, shaking everybody's hand and building network connections. The three's gonna, the six is gonna, the unhealthy six is gonna start acting that way too because they want to ensure that they're gonna be protected. And how do you do that? Follow all the rules, make all the right friendships, and oppose any forces that you think might be against you. So, Six is a compliant type. Under stress, it becomes like an assertive three. And in health, looks like a withdrawn nine. In other words, you know, maybe I can relax. Maybe I can take it easy. Maybe it's not the end of the world. Maybe they're not coming for us. Maybe they're not going to get us. Maybe there's not going to be a zombie apocalypse. Maybe I don't need to dig a bunker. Maybe I can just, you know, be okay. And that's a great place when a six finds finds that, that uh you know, that relief from anxiety and that relief from fear. So what are some examples from our popular culture of sixes uh, in, in, you know, television? Maybe you're like, well, who is this? Who is this person? You know, what does this look like? I think Oscar on The Office is a good example of a six, you know, always kind of being protective of, uh, of himself and protective of his workspace and protective of his relationships um, George Costanza on Seinfeld is a six, probably the counterphobic six. Oscar's probably like the rule following six, you know, and George Costanza is like the counterphobic six. It looks like anger a lot, but it's, he's acting out of fear and acting out of, out of worry. Sorry about the phone. Um, um, Spencer on King of Queens is uh, another good example of a six, Spencer, uh, or Spence. And he's kind of like the rule-following six, you know, um, just trying to do the right thing, but really wants to be connected to people, um, wants to be protected and connected to people. Ron Weasley on Harry Potter is a good example of a six. Um, Chandler on Friends. And then celebrities like Mel Gibson, Tommy Lee Jones, presidential uh, office holders like Richard Nixon, George H.W. Bush. Uh, there's a long list of actors, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Julia Roberts, Gene Hackman, um, um, Tom Selleck, Chuck Norris, um, a lot of these people, uh, a lot of actors. Um, let's see, what else do we want to say about the six? In the Bible, Peter, I think is a good example of a supportive six. He's He's not going to deny. He's going to be faithful. But then in fear, you know, what happens is he, he denies and is, an unf is, is unfaithful. His worst fear. Uh, sixes are often called the devil's advocate because they 
they often are oppositional or they come across as oppositional because they're willing to take the other side. You know, if, if you're teaching your class, um, a six is going to have their hand raised and they're going to say, yeah, but wait a minute, there's an exception to that rule. What about when this happens or what about when this happens? And I think there's an impulse within sixes to question authority. Although they want authority so desperately, they're always kind of questioning authority because if I just give, the line of reasoning I think is if I just give myself over to trust this authority, they could lead me off a cliff. How do I know that this authority figure I'm putting my trust in, that they won't just lead us all over a cliff, that we're not all just being gullible here. So I better ask some questions. I, it's almost like I'm impulsed to ask some questions because I need to test this person because I need to make sure, I need to make sure, I need to make sure that this person really has my best interest at heart. And so they can kind of have that devil's advocate. Now, what's interesting is the reverse of that's true too. If, if, they're, if the six is the teacher of the class, you know, they're doing the lecture, they're doing the lesson, and they're presenting their information and they're 100% sure that their information is correct. And they get three or four objections in the audience well, wait a minute now, and, and they start to question everything the six has taught. The first impulse of the six is probably going to be, maybe my notes are wrong. Maybe my information is wrong. Oh my goodness, I'm getting asked questions. How do I know for sure that my sources are right? Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not right. Maybe I'm all wrong about this. Maybe this whole lesson has been for naught. Maybe I'm just as confused. And they almost have to talk themselves out of that dilemma and say now wait a minute now I know that my sources are right I know I've checked this I know I've gone over this I believe that my information is right and I need to stand up and say no um, I'm sorry I disagree with you I believe in the information I've I've just conveyed to you it's almost like that there's that impulse within them to doubt what they've just been teaching okay um, what else we talked about projecting um, when you try to help a six realize you know that you're going to have to do more than just tell them that things are going to be okay what you're doing is you're telling them move to nine move to nine move to nine that's what you're telling them you're telling them ah, things are going to be alright don't worry about it move to nine but moving to nine doesn't just happen because you say that's what they ought to do okay it's a process and if you could just offer a little support if you could say well tell me what tell me what's got you worried about this and let them talk it out and they say, well, if my kid doesn't make the soccer team, then they might start getting, they might start feeling bad about themselves, like that they're not good at anything. And then what if they start feeling like that? They might, they might, they might start suffering in school and with all their friendships and, and then say, well, you know, that, I guess that could happen. I mean, soccer really is important, but is there any other sports that they're interested in? Maybe they could try out for a different sport. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You know, they did mention they really like were interested in volleyball or they're really interested in baseball or swimming. Maybe they could do that. And if you can just be patient with them and just ask them some questions and be a supportive listener. See, you do this. Other Enneagram types, we do this problem solving in our heads quite naturally. And I think the six just needs us to come alongside of them and let them do it uh, externally. Let them go through their... Don't give them answers. Don't just jump in and tell them, well, here's what you need to do. Be careful about doing that. And also don't tell them, eh, move to nine. It's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. But if you can just kind of walk them through that, 
that problem a little bit. And it may just be two or three questions you have to ask them. Just say, well, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. I could see your point. But maybe, are there any other sports that they might be interested in? Well, you know, they didn't make it out for soccer this year, but, um, um, you know, what, what could you, what could, what could they do? What could they get involved in that, that would encourage them? You know, maybe did they have any other interests? Whatever. If you can just help them work through their problem, their dilemma, their crisis, then maybe they'll come to the real, the hope is they'll come to the realization themselves that, ah, this really isn't as big a deal as I, I thought it was. And it's probably going to be okay. And there's other things we can try. And, uh, that may be all you need to offer them is just a little bit of support. Um, six are sixes. This is kind of an interesting thought. Uh, sixes are um, really interesting people because they tend to be within themselves struggling to a very degree within themselves. In other words, they can be polar opposites within themselves. What I mean is, the six might be the friendliest person you know, but then when they feel threatened, they might become the most belligerent person you know. So which one are they? Friendly or belligerent? Well, they're both, depending on their circumstances. The six might be the most fearful person you know, they're just always concerned, always worried about worst case scenarios, and they don't like to be scared. They don't like to watch scary movies, and they don't. The most fearful person you know, but also at the same time, they could come across as the most courageous person you know, willing to act even though they are afraid. Um, and if they're a counterphobic six, they may very well look like the most courageous person you know, even provoking danger when, when danger doesn't exist. So which one are they, fearful or courageous? They're both. Trusting and wanting people to trust and at the same time, distrusting. I mean, listen to that title, Loyal Skeptic. See the dichotomy there? It's like, which one are you? Well, they're both. They're trusting and they're just, they're passive and sometimes they're aggressive. They can be bullies, like that counterphobic six maybe. They can be bullies, but at the same time, weaklings. They can be team players and also in it for themselves. Believers and doubters, cooperative and obstructionist, generous and at the same time petty, a bundle of opposites. So one of the, one of the books that I remember reading on the six called them Sweet and Sour. Sweet and Sour. Now I'll just let you kind of figure out what that means for you. Uh, or if you are married or have a six as a child or the child of a six, maybe that has its own meaning in your particular scenario. Maybe you hear that and you go, wow, that really describes, you know, the person that I love. They're sweet and sour. Uh, you'll see them just interacting with people and being so kind and friendly. And then you walk out the door and they say, oh my goodness, that person just drives me nuts. I just, I just can't stand. I just can't stand even being around them. I just, oh, I just... And you're like, well, wait a minute now. A minute ago, you just seemed like they were your best friend, and now, sweet and sour. Okay. Uh, so we talked about the reasoning uh, is their disconnection from their guidance system or their compass. You know, they don't trust their own compass. Um, 
I, another thing that seems to happen with sixes is they may intuitively know what ought to be done in a situation. Like let's say they're raising a child, they have a toddler, and the toddler's running their mouth, being a smart mouth, being objectionable, being whatever. The six may, like every uh, everybody else, intuitively know this child needs to be disciplined. This child needs some discipline, some kind of structure. They need some kind of rules. They need some kind of enforcement. They need some kind of whatever. But like a one would just act, or an eight might just act and say, intuitively, I know what this child needs. They need to be set over in a chair in a timeout, and they need to be, you know, whatever. The six, I think, is going to be more inclined to go get a book, read the book, and then try to apply what they learned in the book, even when it doesn't work, because that's what the expert said. And so, if they put the book aside for a minute, they probably know what to do. But the book says that we're supposed to count to three. One, two, you know. And so we're going to do what the book says. We're going to do what, you know, my group said we should do, even though it's not working. And then maybe eventually the six will get to the end of that and go, that just doesn't work. I, I went to the experts and the experts were wrong. But they're going to be inclined, I think, to do what the experts said to do, even though it doesn't work. Okay, so we talked about the 6-5, the defender, the 6-7, the buddy. Uh, they disintegrate to threes. They integrate to nines. The basic fear is of being without support and guidance. The basic desire is to have that support and guidance. And I think the general message the 6 is telling themselves is, I am good. I'm okay and I'm safe if I do everything that's expected of me in other words follow the rules if I'm connected and tied in with the right people uh, then I'll be safe I'll be okay uh, so they're in a search for security like a child who doesn't want to take the training wheels off of their bicycle that have long since served their usefulness. Sixes are afraid if they don't have reliable people in their life or reliable authority figures in their life that they could just come crashing down and they're going to come crashing down all by themselves and it's just going to be, you know, and uh, the end of everything. The end of life as we know it. Okay, so they rely maybe a little too heavily on others' opinions or on their religious leaders or their political figures or their experts or their associations or their groups that they're involved in. They sometimes can rely a little too heavily on those things. Um, they have that desire to be their own person while at the same time having support from others. Again, that dichotomy, that bag of mixed... Uh, you know, roller coasters can be terrifying, but they can be fun. And life can be terrifying, but it can be exhilarating. Healing begins for a six when they say, you know, maybe this is going to work out okay. Maybe I don't have to foresee every possible or potential problem. Maybe I can trust my own judgments. That's when healing begins for a six. Liberated six let go of the belief that they have to rely on somebody else or some outside group or person to support them. They discover their own inner self-guidance. Now let's go through 10 steps to healing and health. Number one, remember there's nothing unusual about feeling anxious. All of us at times are going to feel anxiety and fear. Uncertainty is a part of life and courage is when you just move through it no matter what. You just face the challenges 
And remember that, you know, breathing fully and facing those anxieties can be an exhilarating and educational process. So anxiety, a certain level of anxiety is going to be normal for everybody. We all, we all, we all feel that. Okay, number two, you tend to get edgy and testy when you're upset and angry, and you have the tendency to turn on others and blame them uh, sometimes for the things that you've done to yourself or brought on yourself. So be aware of your own kind of pessimistic and dark moods, your own negative thought patterns about reality. And sometimes in your own self-doubt, you can become your own worst enemy. Okay, number three. Okay. Sixes tend to overreact when they're under stress and feeling anxious. So learn to identify the things that make you overreact. Um, most of the things in life, like I said before, aren't game enders. They may be game changers, but they're not game enders. Even things, even if things are as bad as you think they are, uh, it doesn't mean you can't manage them. It doesn't mean you can't sort it out. It doesn't mean you can't recover from them. And it doesn't mean you can't make it through them. So recognize when your anxiety is starting to get like that snowball, when it's starting to roll and it's getting out of control and take a step back and try to get in touch with your thinking again and say, am I making too much out of this? Okay. Number four, work on becoming a more trusting person, trusting of other people. Um, realize that most people are not out to get you. They're more, they're so, con every person is so consumed with their own agenda in life that they're, most people are just not thinking about you. And if it looks like they're up to no good and they're out to get you, probably the chances are they're not. They're not thinking about you. They're just thinking about how to move ahead themselves or they're thinking about how everybody thinks of them. Uh, but there very few people in life are really just out to get you. Okay, so relax a little bit and try to think the best of people unless they prove themselves otherwise. Now, if somebody proves to you, you know, they show themselves, then believe it. Believe that, you know, but most people are not trying to destroy your life. Okay, they're, they're just, they're trying to make it through life themselves. Number five, and it doesn't doesn't usually serve their advantage to ruin you. It serves their advantage to collaborate with you and to not make an enemy of you. All right, number five, other people probably think a lot better of you than you realize. I mean, after all, you're a dedicated worker. You're a hardworking person who cares about getting things done and about being safe. Your personality type, your Enneagram type is designed to, to be a loyal, hardworking, friendly person. So most people will probably think of you as that. And that's a good thing. Most people probably want to relate positively with you and they want you to support them because you are a problem solver. So if you can realize that, that most people probably think pretty good of you and you, your whole personality is built on being a likable person. So you're probably liked. Okay, number six. You are highly responsible in many areas in life, but it can be hard for you to take responsibility for your own mistakes. You may be afraid that others will jump down your throat if they find out that you were wrong or that you did the incorrect thing. You're afraid to maybe open that up and say, hey, I made a mistake. Because if you make a mistake, what? The ax man's coming, right? The wolves are coming. Um, but if you'll take responsibility for your mistakes, people will respect you and they will align themselves more easily with you. 
If you try to pass the blame off on others because you're afraid of blame being attached to you, you're going to end up alienating yourself and undermining the relationships with those other people. By the way, if you're in a relationship with a six or you work with a six, um, they will really respect it if you go to them and say, hey, look, I was wrong. I made a mistake and I hope you'll forgive me because they realize the great risk that is associated with saying something like that because the last thing a six wants to do is to say, hey, everybody, I was wrong. I deserve to be in trouble. They don't want, sixes don't want that. They want to run away from everything that might get them in trouble. Seven, you want to feel secure, but this will never happen until you are secure in yourself. In other words, it's an internal anxiety that you project externally most often. Be more realistic in your beliefs about yourself and your own abilities. And if you learn to believe in yourself, then other people will believe in you as well. Quiet your restless mind and be present to right now. Number eight, examine your attitude toward authority. Do you go back and forth, supportive and then yet suspicious, supportive of your church leaders, suspicious of your church leaders, supportive of your boss, but then suspicious of your boss? Um, become aware of your own unco unconscious attitudes toward authority. And if they're not out to get you, then don't treat them like they are. Don't worry about them like they are, unless they give you reason. Uh, but if they don't give you reason, then just assume that they're there to work for your best interest. Number nine, be fair with others and tell them what's on your mind. Share with them why sometimes you seem indecisive and sometimes defensive. And number 10, remember that the authorities you look to uh, in life as reliable sources of guidance and support can usually help you, but only up to a certain point. And then at some point, you have to trust your own instincts. You have to trust yourself to make it the rest of the way. You're never going to have 100% assurance that you're not going to make a mistake or this isn't going to turn out bad or that you're going to, or that you're going to do the right thing. But uh, you don't need 100% assurance. You can take the training wheels off and do your best. You know, try to foresee as much as you can, but then you have to just step out and just take a risk. Life is all about taking risks. And the reality is most of us, when we get to the end of our life, are not uh, upset about the risks we took. We, we're upset about the risks we wish we would have taken. But at the time, you know, we were maybe too anxious or too afraid to take those risks. So risking can be a good thing in life. And to a six, probably a lot of life seems like a risk. Um, but I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope it's been encouraging to you. Um, and as always, be present to life. Um, for that six, I think that could mean that, you know, you can't always have a contingency plan for everything and you can't be prepared for every situation. And so you might want to hide down in the bunker, you know, and, and if you do that, you're not present to life as it is. Uh, yes, you will get hurt in life. Yes, there are people that are going to mistreat you. Yes, people will take advantage of you. And yes, accidents happen. But that happens to people who are present to life. And even when you're not present to life, those kinds of things can still happen. So there's no way you can be 100% pain-free or uh, safe Unless you just hide in a bunker and, and you do that, guess what? You're not present to life. And people want to know you. 
and they want to relate to you and you have something to offer and you have something to give um, but you got to be willing to step out and take a risk all right thank you guys blessings and i wish you the best till next time bye <laughs>